Welcome to the Lake Show Life Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Reed. Welcome back to another episode of the Lake Show Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason Reed, the acting side expert over at lakeshowlife.com. And today we got a, a fun episode for you. Um, I've been promising guests, and I kind of have one today um, in the form of me being a guest on another podcast. So, you know, the other day I appeared on the Sixer Sense podcast. It is part of the Fan Sided Podcasting Network uh, for the 76ers. I appeared on there to talk about the upcoming Lakers-Sixers matchup on Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to reuse some of that audio. Thanks to the guys over there for uh, giving me the permission to do so. So we talked about the game, talked about some other things. I'm going to splice that at the end of my monologue. That'll be kind of our game preview. Um, right before that, though, we're going to talk about the purple and gold players. Um, I was going to do the betting picks, but as of the time of recording, they only have one line, and it's via FanDuel. Um, so I'm just going to wait. That'll go up in article form tomorrow on the 27th. Um, so I'll talk about the purple and gold players before we jump into that. But before that, you know, it's the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's tragic passing. Uh, him, his daughter Gianna, seven others in a tragic helicopter accident, you know, January 26, 2020. Um, it's crazy to think that it's already been a year. It's already been 365 days. It still doesn't feel real. Um, you know, it just, I, I can't, I can't believe it still to this day. Uh, same feelings today as 365 days ago, just disbelief, sadness, grief, all of that. Um, but I wanted to talk about, you know, what Kobe means to me personally, what I think Kobe means to the city of Los Angeles, what he means to the Lakers. Um, you know, he's an icon in his own right. Um, before we get into that, though, I would like to remind you, if you can, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or four-star, three-star, two-star, one-star. Those are options, but I would prefer five stars. Um, those really help us out a lot. They really do. So if you're a, a frequent listener of the Lake Show Life podcast, you could really help us out with that. I say it every episode, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, anything, I will read the reviews live on the next episode. Um, answer whatever question you have, any comment you have, as long as it's appropriate, of course. Um, and if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you know, just follow, subscribe, whatever your method, whatever the word they use on whatever your uh, podcast feed is, whether it's Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. So we're everywhere. You're obviously listening to us on something. So if you could please uh, give us a follow, give us a subscribe, give us a review, we would really, really appreciate that. Maybe leave a review on your favorite Kobe mem- your personal favorite Kobe memory. Um, I'll read them all in the air next episode if any reviews are, are left with their favorite Kobe memory um, because we all have different ones. We really do. And that's where I wanted to start with this Kobe talk really is my personal favorite Kobe memory. So I did an article on this. this I wrote this in article form kind of as a, a homage to Kobe, a little bit of a column. Um, we had some great, great, great uh, tribute pieces to Kobe, Casey Ahmad. Uh, he did a, a letter to Kobe one year later. That was really good. And then we had um, Skylar Treple. He did a kind of featurey piece where he interviewed some people close to uh, Kobe, uh, Gary Vitti, uh, Mark Medina, some other um, you know notable journalists that were in the room either when Kobe played uh, his last game. A former player as well. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. That's you know bad radio, but fantastic piece, fantastic feature. I'd go check it out on Lake Show Life. It's titled Kobe Bryant: The, ba- the Black Mamba's Last Stand. Um, it's really, really is a good piece, and I go check that out. Um, as for the piece I did, my personal favorite memory of Kobe Bryant. So I'll rewind the clock. 2016, April 13th. As you may know, that was the day of Kobe Bryant's last game. He balls out, drops 60, um, just looks, you know, vintage Kobe, 
hits the game winner, goes out with a bang against the Utah Jazz. You know, it was a terrible season as a team for the Lakers, but it ended on a really high note. His career ended on a high note. And it was a really emotional moment, you know, back then, and even more now. So um, I did not watch that game live. And I know that sounds like a sin. Uh, how could you be the Lakers side expert, you know, talk about Kobe, all these things. You didn't even watch his last game. What kind of Fairweather fan are you? The reason I did not watch his last game is because I actually was at the Dodger game that day. The Dodgers were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks. They won 3-1. to one. Uh, I got tickets for my girlfriend as a gift. We sat in the all-you-can-eat right field pavilion. Delicious. Ate five Dodger dogs. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a tough day for my stomach, but it was delicious. Um, so we did that. And, you know, obviously you're watching the Dodger game, keeping up with the game on your phone, the uh, Lakers game, that is, keeping up with what Kobe's doing, you know, and it, it was just remarkable um, to see how everyone at that Dodger game, obviously watching the Dodgers, but especially as it got down the stretch and the Laker game started, you know, getting to the final whistle, that's all anyone in that stadium cared about. And I looked it up, there was 44,300 and something people there that day. There was 44,000 Dodger fans. I mean, maybe there was like a 1,000 Diamondbacks fans in there. Uh, who knows? Um, just not concerned with the Dodger game. I'll never forget. I don't recall what inning it was, but it was in between innings. And they showed like Kobe's um, kind of like the closing moments of the game. And then just kind of like a little bit of stuff, like the live broadcast on the big screen. And it, it was just incredible. Like everyone was turned towards the big screen. You know, no one cared about anything else. And the stadium just erupted erupted in cheers, all that. And then the chant started, you know, it was Kobe Bryant, that chant. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, it might not seem like a big thing that they were chanting Kobe's name at a Dodger game. Of course it's Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, everyone that loves the Dodgers, most people that love the Dodgers love Kobe, but I've been to three playoff games, you know, not to, you know, a little bit of a brag, not to brag. Uh, (laughs) I've been to three Dodger games, playoff Dodger games. I've been to the 2014 NLDS where Kershaw blew the lead against the Cardinals and we were up like 7-1. That was brutal. I went to the 2018 NLCS against the Brewers. It was game three or four. Uh, I believe it was game four. They lost. I remember Yasmani Grandal had like 10 runners left on base that game. It was infuriating. And I've been to the 2017 World Series game one. So obviously that's the only game they won that I went to. But it was still super loud for the NLCS, super loud for the NLDS. You know, that was they, they had made it the year before 2013, but the playoffs were still really fresh. And I remember the, the Dodgers were actually going, had a comeback, and they had their winning run at third base, Yasiel Puig up, or tying run, excuse me. And the stadium was erupting. To that point, that was the loudest I ever heard Dodger Stadium. There's only one time that I've been to Dodger Stadium, and I've probably been to you know, dozens of regular season games and whatnot. One time that was louder than these Kobe Bryant chants. And that was game one of the 2017 world series. When Justin Turner hit the two run home run to take the lead, I believe in the seventh inning. Um, that is the only time that the stadium that the Dodger stadium has been louder. It was erupting in Kobe chants. Um, it was just incredible. It was like deafening. Um, and it, it just showed to me, you know, I was, I'm young, I'm 22, I was, what, that was 20, I wasn't even 18 at the time, I was 17, and I kind of missed Kobe's, I missed the Shaq Kobe era, I was little, um, and then like the 81 point game and all that, I was old enough to remember it, but I wasn't, you know, the prime age where you really, really start getting into it, so, you know, I always knew how important Kobe was to the city of Los Angeles, and even more so now, um, 
and I knew how popular he was and how he's an all-time great, one of the best to ever do it and all that stuff. But that was the moment where I was like, I kind of realized, like, Kobe is Los Angeles. Like, you think of, you know, you think of other towns. You think of Chicago. You think of Michael Jordan. You think of, I don't know, Dallas. You might think of uh, uh, Troy Aikman or um, Emmett Smith. You think of, you know, you think of these cities. Houston, you might think of Hakeem. Um, you think of New York, you think of Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, all them. You think of these cities, you think of the superstars attached to their name, and you think of Los Angeles, and I think it's fair to say you think of Kobe Bryant. Magic was fantastic. Magic and Kobe are 1A, 1B, whichever way you put them in terms of all-time great Lakers. Obviously, the Showtime Lakers are fantastic. Kareem, they, they were all huge. Shaq was big, but he left. Um, You know, Dodger stars, like if you really look at the history of the Dodgers, they really haven't had a, a Los Angeles superstar. You know, you got like the legends like Koufax and Oral Hershiser and Kirk Gibson, but no one's to the level of Kobe. I mean, eventually Kershaw, I think Kershaw is probably the biggest one, but you know, that's still not Kobe level. Uh, the Kings, you know, I mean, they had Gretzky for a little bit, but I mean, not, that wasn't Kobe to LA, um, you know, the Rams and whatnot. And it, it's just, he he is Los Angeles. He really is. And you think about the time that he was successful. It was in an era of just terrible, terrible luck for LA sports. I mean, from, you know, Kobe was drafted, what, 19, I'm going to freaking butcher this, 1996, I believe. It was 96 or 97. 96. Okay. I don't know why I always doubt myself. I, I write about the Lakers. I get paid to write about the Lakers. Why do I doubt myself? Um, you know, 96 to, you know, 20. 16 but really you know his prime ended 2013 when he got hurt but we'll just say 1996 2010 because that's when his second title was won it was terrible it was downright terrible uh you think of the dodgers they were in the frank mccourt days um from 1989 to 2007 they've only made the playoffs four times and they only won one playoff game in that span they never advanced to the second round obviously they had the nlcs runs in 2008 2009 that kind of re you know ignited the city manny ramirez and all that but still, I mean, that was still a terrible, terrible era for the Dodgers just in terms of success. You think of the Rams and the Raiders. They packed their bags and left town in, after 94. So, you know, Kobe came into a city that didn't even have a football team. Um, you know, and the Rams had their success in St. Louis. Uh, the Raiders had a Super Bowl or had some success at the turn of the century um, in Oakland. But And there was definitely L.A. fans still that supported the Rams and Raiders. But it wasn't, you know, it's not the same. It, it just isn't. Um, and then the Kings, you know, they were they also had a handful of playoff firsts, like the Dodgers, only made it out of the first round once, were eliminated in the second round that year. Um, just no success. Um, the Clippers, obviously they are in Los Angeles, but the Clippers have never been embraced as LA's, you know, team. Maybe if they were successful in this era, they could have been. Maybe if Kobe got drafted to the Clippers, they could have been. I don't know no Laker fan wants to think about that. This was their chance to kind of take over the LA market, quite frankly. Um, but they didn't, they were terrible. Um, and honestly, there's more Clipper fans in Orange County, San Bernardino County, Riverside County than there is Los Angeles County. Um, so take that with what you may, um, you know, and then the only teams that were successful in that area, in that era from, you know, Southern California, not counting the Padres, but like the LA metropolitan area were the Anaheim angels, the Anaheim ducks, both won a championship angels, 2002 ducks, 2007. That's not LA. You know, yeah, they're the Los Angeles Angels now. That's not L.A. That's Anaheim. Um, so Kobe and the Lakers, you know, the three-peat Lakers. And then even when they weren't, they were still a playoff team, but they weren't, you know, like a title contender really in, you know, in between his two title stretches. 
they were the only thing really going in the town at the time. And Kobe was the star of the show. Kobe was the one that stayed with the team post Shaq. Kobe was the one dropping 81 points, dropping, you know, 60 some, what was it? 63 against Dallas in three quarters. Um, he was the guy. So that alone made him a superstar. And then just his hard work, the mama mentality. I know everyone talks about the mama mentality, but it's true. It's a real thing. You know, he, his will to win, his will to be the best at anything he did in life, whether it be basketball, whether it be, you know, making a, an Academy Award winning short, whether it be uh, his rap career, whether it be being a father. Um, you know, obviously we don't have firsthand experience of him being a father, but everyone that knows who Kobe Bryant is knows that he was a great father. Um, he just represented, you know, this is a town where people come out here to try to make something of their lives, much like New York, you know, they try to catch a break in LA or they're already in LA, you know, and it's obviously very expensive, uh, and they got to grind and they got to hustle and they got to do their daily nine to five, oftentimes seven to seven. Um, this is a hardworking town as much as, you know, there's the movie stars and there's the people that lounge around, but this is a hardworking town and Kobe, you know, encapsulated that, um, he was bigger than basketball. He was a global superstar. He was someone who everyone could look up to. And he did have, you know, with the, the Colorado scandal and whatnot. And that, that is part of his, his story and it should be mentioned, but it's just, there's very few athletes that are as beloved as Kobe Bryant is. Uh, LeBron's not as beloved as Kobe as much, you know, I'm a LeBron guy and he has his stance, but he's not as beloved as Kobe. I would even say, as beloved as Michael Jordan is, he might not even be as beloved as Kobe because there's a lot of people that hated Jordan too. Um, he's just one of those sports icons that everyone loves, everyone respects, everyone appreciates. He's truly larger than life. So when the news hit that, you know, he passed away in such a, a tragic, just unforeseen, you know, completely out of left field accident, it, it's just, it, it was unreal and it felt unreal. It still feels unreal. Um, you know, the Laker family lost someone, you know, the basketball community lost someone, the world lost someone. Most importantly, Vanessa Bryant lost someone. Um, and it's important as everyone says, and I'll reiterate it, you know, it's important to live on the, his legacy, Gianna's legacy, everyone else that tarnished in that crashes legacy, you know, keep working hard, keep going day by day, keep getting better every single day. And, you know, Kobe, he would have appreciated us looking back at his career and everything he accomplished and the impact that he had, but he would rather us look forward and look how to be better people, uh, how the Lakers can be better basketball players, how I could be a better podcaster, how you could be a better, you know, grocery store clerk or car salesman or whatever the case may be. Um, it, it's just, that's what he would want. Um, so, you know, it, it's crazy. It, it sucks. Um, just, I can't even put into words, you know, my feelings from the day, my feelings still uh, a year later, 365 days later. Um, we lost a good one. We really did. And, uh, you know, he'll never, ever, ever, ever be forgotten. His impact on this world will exist until the sun eventually blows up in like a billion years. Um, <laughs> inappropriate joke to make in the time. But Kobe's a legend. Kobe will be missed. We all love him. Um, there will never be anyone like him. All right, so before I uh, jump into the Sixer Sense audio uh, of the recording we did the other day, I wanted to give my purple and gold players. Um, so this is an interesting matchup. 76ers obviously uh, first in the Eastern Conference, unless that's changed in the last day or so. If so, I'm going to look like a fool, but it's okay. I've looked like a fool countless times uh, in my career. <laughs> uh, yeah, 12 and 6, first place in the Eastern Conference, 9 and 1 at home. That's important. Uh, Lakers are second in the West. Oh, no, first in the West now. They have more wins than the Clippers. Clippers have the tiebreaker. 
they've had the same record kind of going back and forth. Clippers, you know, one seed when they have the same record. Uh, Lakers are one seed right now, though, 14-4, and 10-0 uh, on the road. So we have a 10-0 road team against a 9-1 home team, so that's interesting. Um, as far as purple or gold players are concerned, we kind of touch on it a little bit when we break down the matchups uh, with the Sixer Sense guys, uh, but I didn't give a definitive answer. So my definitive answer for the sake of the podcast, purple player, play, role player that the Lakers need to focus on stopping is going to be Tobias Harris. Yes, he is a role player. He is not a star. Um, the way I look at this game, you know, you got Joel Embiid. Uh, Anthony Davis and Marcus Gasol should be enough to – I mean, Embiid's playing like an MVP, so I don't think they can necessarily stop him, but – that's enough to kind of throw at him. Um, and then you have, you know, LeBron might guard Ben Simmons a little bit. I, I don't know who's going to really guard Ben Simmons, um, but Ben Simmons isn't like a prolific scorer. So I'm not worried about that. You kind of know what you're going to get out of those two. Um, but that leaves an opening for Tobias Harris, because if you have LeBron, maybe LeBron guards Tobias. Um, but whoever doesn't guard Embiid between AD and Gasol at the time might be on Tobias. That does worry me because he could stretch the floor. He's shooting the three ball really well this season. Um, maybe it's LeBron on Tobias, which LeBron plays great defense when he tries, but it's the regular season, so he might not be trying as much. Um, and I'm worried about you know the swings where Kuzma's in the game and Tobias is on Kuzma. Um, that's troubling. Like watch for that. If Kuzma and Tobias are on the floor at the same time, like watch how the Sixers are going to target Kuzma with Tobias. Um, that's not good. I mean, Bogle's smart and he knows not to do that. But and I know Kuzma's playing better this year, but. Um, he will get worked. He will by Tobias Harris. Trust me. Um, so that's the player they need to worry about stopping. And the role player I think is going to play well for the Lakers, the gold player. I'm gonna go with Alex Caruso. So obviously, uh, Caruso positive, uh, podcast. Um, he's shooting the three ball amazing this season. He's what, like 55% from the field. Uh, he's one of the best defensive players in the league. I believe he is, uh, I just did an article on this, so I'm not going to get the exact number. I can't pull up stat head this quickly. Um, he was at the time of writing, I believe like ninth in defensive box plus minus, and then like fourth amongst guards. Um, so he's been fantastic defensively shooting the three ball on fire. Like I said, he's actually shooting a 54.5% leads the league among qualified shooters. How about that? Um, obviously he's not shooting a lot, two and a half attempts per game. Uh, I believe that makes what 33. Yeah. 33 attempts in total 18 for 33, not the biggest sample size, but still a decent sample size. Um, but I think he's going to play well because of the what he's going to add on defense. So I think Caruso should be getting more minutes. I think they should actually take minutes from Kuzma and give them to Caruso personally, even though it's not really a the same position. They could work it out with how versatile their lineup is. I think Caruso is going to be huge in the perimeter defense, obviously. Uh, he's going to be huge in cutting up the passing lanes. He's going to be huge, really, at closing out on these three-point shooters and limiting you know the 76ers from shooting. You know, you got Seth Curry. Like I said, Tobias Harris is shooting the ball fantastic. Um, you know, Daryl Morey's done a great job of surrounding Embiid and Simmons with shooters and people who could space the floor. I mean, you look at their team stats. Um, they're not shooting the ball a lot. I mean, actually, yeah, it's kind of misleading. I mean, they're attempting 32 threes a game, 23rd in the league, 36%, 14, 14th in the league. Um, so that's not fantastic, but it is still an improvement from last year, um, at least I think. Um, and if the Sixers are going to beat the Lakers, they're going to have to get their shooters involved. You know, obviously like Dwight and all that, um, they're going to do what they do. Uh, Dwight's actually shooting a 42% from beyond the arc this season. Watch out. But um, it's going to be up to Caruso to pretty much keep these guys from having big games. You know, keep Seth Curry from having a big game. Keep Tobias from having, you know, even though I said, you know, stop him. Well, yeah, stop him. 
Um, keep Tobias Harris from having a big game. You know, close out even the bench guys that he might share minutes with. Uh, Isaiah Joe's averaging 18 minutes a game. Uh, he's shooting 37% from beyond the arc on 4.6 attempts. Um, but he was a kind of a COVID guy, so I don't know how many minutes he's getting now. Uh, Danny Green even 36%. That's decent. Uh, Shake Milton 32%. He attempts 3.9. Um, Korkmaz he attempts 4.7. He's not a great. He hasn't shooting great this season, but he can shoot the rock. Um, so really just the closeout defense, the perimeter defense. Um, most teams, the Sixers get problems too because of Embiid and because of their size. The Lakers are one of the teams that don't have to worry about that size. So it really comes down, I think, quite frankly, to the shooting. I think if we look back, and this is true in most games, but if you just look at the box score after the game, whatever team has more threes made or, I mean, if they have more threes made but their percentage is absolutely terrible, then maybe not. But whatever team is better shooting the three ball even if it's marginally i think is going to win this game i think that's where the biggest difference is and that's where one team is going to win and one where one team is going to lose and crusoe is huge in that and tobias harris is huge in that for the 76ers so that's my purple and gold players um yeah let's get into the audio with Sixers with the sixer sense guys uh, it was a fun conversation um great guys over there check them out if you know any sixers fans in your life, tell them to check out the website, sixersense.com. They always provide great, you know, analysis and whatnot. And I am the guest on this podcast. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, until I speak with you guys next time, um, go Lakers. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lucas. I got Uri here, our producer, who's filling in for our other host, Chris, today. And we have a very special guest from Fan Sided Lake Show. But let me go ahead and introduce you guys to Jason Reed. Jason, how are we doing tonight, guys? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys doing? Pleasure to be on, first and foremost. You know, we were chatting a little bit beforehand. You know, we got some Phillies fans here. So at least Uriah is. So I'm sorry about that, uh, being a Dodger <laughs> fan myself. But uh, besides that, I'm doing great. <laughs> hey, it's all good. You know, L.A., they finally got a ring since 1988. I think it was in third grade when that went down you know Phillies went we got a ring back in 08 so you know we're we're, we're tied right now in the past two decades you know I, I don't mind being a Phillies fan we, we do have Bryce Harper and as long as we get JT Rimuto I'm, I'm good and I'm just out here being not really a baseball fan but I if I'm claiming a team it has to be the Tampa Bay Rays because my mom lived in Tampa for a while that's it I'm not a Tampa I'm not a baseball person guys I'm sorry it's all right, Lucas. We we forgive you. We we it's know okay, that it doesn't keep your attention. We're not here to talk about baseball, so that's the good news for me. Exactly. We're here to basketball. talk about basketball. <laughs> and Jason's here to talk about the Lakers-Sixers matchup this upcoming week. So, Uriah, go ahead and take that away. All right, let's do it. Let's talk hoops. So, Jason, we'll, we'll come to you first with this first topic. The Lakers and the Sixers are in first place in their respective conferences. And you guys just came off a championship year last year in the bubble. Congratulations to you guys. Is L.A. where they are right now in terms of their expectations? And from what you know about the Sixers, do you think the Sixers are where they're expected to be? So it's kind of weird because obviously, you know, the Lakers, you know, I I say they're the most prestigious franchise in in basketball. Sorry to the Celtics. You know, they have the same amount of rings, but the Lakers have more dynasties, more superstars. Um. So the expectations are always super high. It's almost like, I don't know if it was the short off season. I don't know if it was, you know, the Lakers winning and then the Dodgers winning. And then you got the Rams going on a, a you know, a playoff run. It, it There's not as much, at least around LA, it seems like 
as much expectations, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, quite frankly, you know, Laker fans, and usually this isn't the case, but they seem to be quite modest in what they expected the team to start off the year. Um, and it was mostly because of that short offseason. You know, LeBron's 36, uh, shortest offseason in American sports history. You got so many new pieces. I think everyone realistically expected them to be a little bit sluggish out the gate. And quite frankly, I mean, they have a 13 and four record, but they have been, you know, they were sluggish at least to start, you know, first week or two of the season. Um, but they're, you know, they're where I expected them to be at least. I don't know about most of the fans. Uh, 13 and four sounds right. I did a, the 37 game prediction because they released the 30, first 37 games. I think I had them at like 29 and eight or something. So they're, you know, projected to go right there. Um, as far as the Sixers, I would like to brag and say I'm not surprised that they have the best record in the East. You know, we were talking beforehand. I was saying I like you guys. I like how you guys match up against some of the other teams in the East. I definitely do think it is a little bit of a shock to the general NBA fan. I mean, you know, you got the Bucks, you got the Celtics, you know, even before James Harden went to the Nets, everyone was looking at them. But I like you guys, man. I mean, no one expected Embiid to raise to this, you know, MVP level. You know, he wasn't a favorite for the MVP. I guess that's been the biggest surprise, but... You guys have been good. I think you were exceeding expectations for sure, even if they're not exceeding my expectations, because that's what I expected. <laughs> yeah. So the Lakers, I, I didn't. Ex- I thought that there was going to be some chemistry issues, but I thought they still were going to be a top team in the West. And it's just grown to show that LeBron James, despite being what is he now, thirty six? Yeah. Uh, he's he's not he's not slowing down. Yeah. His stats are slightly down, but that's just him taking it easy to begin the season, especially after such a short turnaround. And he has probably, you know, maybe, maybe not as, you know, star driven as the Miami heat teams were, but the, probably the deepest team that he's had around him in his career. I mean, yet no, there, there is no third star in like Chris Bosch or even Kevin love, but the supporting cast is just super deep, so I'm not surprised by the Lakers' start at all. I am, I'm a little surprised by the Sixers' start, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm not. I'm, you know, I I know that sounds weird coming from a, you know, the side expert of the Sixers' sense, but I'm just like you said. I don't think anybody was expecting it. I don't think anybody was expecting this MVP level. I don't think a lot of people were expecting the you know early signs from Tyrese Maxey or Seth Curry having a career year, uh, Tobias Harris getting back to form. I, you know, nobody expected this. And I think Doc Rivers is hitting all the right notes right now, and it's going well. Um, and you brought up matchups. You're right outside of – I mean, the best center that I can think of in the East that could give Joel Embiid problems and you said Giannis won't before we came on, but he's he's not going to guard Joel Embiid constantly. No, it's probably going to end up being in a playoff series. The best matchup is probably going to be Brook Lopez, who isn't not a bad defender at this point of his career, which is crazy if you think about it. Like five years ago, he was one of the worst defensive centers in the league, but now he's one of the better ones. But still, Brook Lopez is not going to start stop Joel Embiid. All the good, the, all the centers that gave Joel Embiid problems are now in the Western Conference. So. Joel Embiid has a wide open lane now, basically the outside of Brooke Lopez. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but who Clint Capella, maybe on the Hawks, maybe miles Turner would have the best luck, but I still don't think he's going to be great against him. No, Embiid punishes Turner because he's so much stronger than Turner. Turner has a vertical, but he's not going to slow him down in a playoff series. Joel's going to get him in foul trouble early. 
So yeah, no, I'm I'm a little surprised by the Sixers, but I'm not surprised by the Lakers. So I, you can cue all the the LA fans to boo me right now, but um, I, I was rooting for Miami in the playoffs in the bubble. I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan. I'm still hurt that he didn't come back to Philly. I, I give LA big props, um, especially LeBron being at the age, playing at at such a, a high level and defying you know age. But I, I'm not surprised by their, their current success at all, especially with the acquisitions they made with uh, Montrez Harrell and uh, Schroeder. So I'm not surprised. And and good for you guys. I'm, I'm glad that L.A. is doing their thing out, out in West. But come Wednesday night when they play the Sixers, they're going to have a, a handful with, like you said, Embiid having an MVP caliber year. The way we went out in the playoffs last year getting swept I'm sure that was embarrassing for him with a new coach uh, refocusing. He, he just had a kid and he got a big shoe deal with, with Under Armour. I felt Embiid was, was primed for a big year. I didn't expect, like Lucas said, the emergence of Tyrese Maxey. I mean, the fact that he dropped a 21 is astounding to me. And then Curry, I mean, bringing Curry into the system where he can spread the floor for Embiid, but also Embiid creates a reverse gravity to give him space to shoot. It, it it really is impressive what what we've been able to do, and I'm, I just hope they keep it going. So that I, I I'm not surprised, but I'm also I am surprised a little bit. So let let's move on to the next topic. So real quick before we do that, actually, I had yeah. one more point on sure. uh, why I had high expectations for the Sixers personally as a you know Laker side expert. Um, I I'm a big Daryl Morey guy. I mean, obviously he was um, with the Rockets, not with the Lakers, but. He's one of the smartest minds in basketball, and the way he built those Houston teams while Golden State was, you know, obviously in their reign of dominance, and honestly should have beat Golden State, what was that, 2018, 2019, when Chris Paul got hurt. Mm. Uh, I'm a big Daryl Morey guy. When he went to Philly, you know, I'm, I'm a – Doc Rivers is cool. Uh, I worry about him in the playoffs, so just keep your guard there. Um, but <laughs> I knew when Morey took the job, he was going to do the right things, and he did. I mean, addition by subtraction by getting rid of Al Horford – um, and then the Seth Curry, Josh Richardson swap was just, you know, masterful. I mean, it's opened the floor up for you guys so much. And that's why I was so high on him. And I think, you know, Daryl Morey, you know, Joel Embiid's the MVP on the floor, but you know, Daryl Morey's the MVP off the court when it comes to all NBA execs, including Rob Polinka, who also had a really good off season, but I think Morey, Morey did a great job. So let's get to the whole concept of LeBron versus Kobe. Not that it should be a competition at this point, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, but um, coming your way, Jason, how have the Lakers fans accepted LeBron up to this point? Is there still diehard Kobe fans who have a hard time accepting LeBron and just can't let go of, of the legacy that, that Kobe left behind? Or everything is all kosher with, with those fans? So it's an interesting thing. So obviously, you know, LeBron wasn't loved by Laker fans beforehand. And that's because of the whole Kobe-LeBron kind of rivalry that was created by fans in the media and whatnot. I'll never forget, I used to work at a sports store out here on the West Coast called Fans. And when LeBron signed, you know, I had people coming up and telling me like, oh, I, you know, I hate LeBron, blah, blah, blah. All these things about how they wouldn't support LeBron and the Lakers. And it, it's definitely gotten better than that. Um, he's never going to hold a candle to Kobe in this town, though. You know, he could win four championships. Mm. And Kobe's the guy. Kobe, you know, played here his whole career. You know, they're going to celebrate LeBron's titles and we're going to celebrate, you know, and he, he's going to be loved, but it's just it's a different kind of love. And quite frankly, if there's anyone, and again, I don't think anyone comes close to Kobe just because of what Kobe meant, you know, for the city and everything, and then his tragic passing. Um, 
But if anyone on the Lakers is going to become that kind of star, it's Anthony Davis. You know, AD came over from the Pelicans. If he stays, you know, post LeBron and he kind of cre- wins titles without LeBron, kind of like Kobe did without Shaq later in his career, um, AD is going to be the one that's remembered as this generation's magic, where LeBron is remembered as, you know, this generation's Kareem. Still an all time Laker great, but magic was, you know, the Laker back then. So that's kind of how I view it. I mean, I don't speak for every Laker fan, but. Um, I don't think LeBron's ever going to be even close to, you know, Kobe level in this city. Yeah, I th- I think that's a fair thing to say. Now, I'm, you know, obviously an East Coast guy, so I wouldn't know. But just from the general feel of, you know, you, you go on Twitter, you can see how Lakers fans feel and just the overall, you know, perception of it. But I will say this, I think... I think um, there are going to always be the code. There's, you know, and I think I'm sure you guys seen Game of Zones uh, from Bleacher Report. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be Lakers fans, but there's always going to be Kobe fans within Laker fans. Yeah. And I think that that and, and is that correct, Jason? Is that a fair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's late. It's, you know, obviously they're Laker fans, too, but Kobe has, you know, if we were comparing them all NBA teams, he'd probably have like the 10th biggest fan base, you know, bigger than 20 NBA teams. Uh, people just love Kobe out here, man. It's incredible. Well, you know, in, in, you know, getting into the legacy of Kobe a little bit, I just, even on the, you know, East Coast here, growing up in elementary school, whenever we would, you know, shoot a paper wad into a trash can, we would always yell Kobe. It wasn't MJ. It wasn't Shaq. It wasn't, you know, this or that. It was Kobe. I think, that's what of... I, I think Embiid uh, gave, told a story of that, Lucas, one time. Is, um, he, would, mm-hmm. he would say he that because I think Embiid fell in love with NBA hoops when because the of Lakers. Yeah, well, when the Lakers were playing Orlando in the finals years ago, that's when Embiid was a teenager and he saw Kobe just taking over games and, and he fell in love with it. And speaking of uh, Embiid, we're going to shift and we're going to go towards the matchup for this Wednesday coming up. Big game, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. So, Jason, we're going to go player by player, and then when we get to the bench, we'll just compare benches. So let's just figure out, you know, how these teams match up overall. All right, so let's start with our centers. We have Marcus All, a little long in the tooth, but still effective. Always gave him beat problems, especially in Toronto. And, of course, we have Joel Embiid. How do you think they match up, Jason? Uh, it's interesting because Gasol doesn't play. He starts, but he doesn't play starter minutes. He's averaging, what is it, 19.4 minutes per game? Mm-hmm. 19, yeah, 19.4. Um, Gasol's still good defensively. I mean, looking at, you know, just watching him, the eye test, he's still good. Uh, he's obviously slower than he used to be, but, I mean, that that comes with the years unless you're LeBron. Um, Metrics-wise, you know, he's still putting up good numbers. Defensive box plus minus. He leads the team 2.9. Against Embiid, the way he's playing tonight, or not tonight, but this year, I, I don't think Gasol's going to do much defensively, honestly, to stop him. I think AD's probably going to play more defense on Embiid. Um, and offensively, it's just so heavily skewed. You know, they don't really have Marcus Gasol do anything offensively. Um, so Embiid, obviously, you know, it, it's weird to say Marcus Gasol's a legend, but he dominates that matchup, quite frankly. So I, I'm actually going to, when it, Marcus Gasol isn't playing, I wouldn't be surprised that if he, just because, and Uriah knows this, he, was, he wasn't he was a spring chicken when he was in Toronto either. Like, 
he gave Embiid problems. And yes, Embiid's taking it to another level this year, but he hasn't had to deal with a big physical old school center like like Gasol. And it's always the old school guys that give Embiid the problems. You look at guys like Gasol and Al Horford even. Those are the type of guys. And even like Brooke Lopez and Aaron Baines, like those are old school, like grit and grind type of defensive centers. Like the the new defensive center in the NBA is more of a uh, pogo stick that can, you know, rim defend. But those those guys that have the brute strength, which Gasol still has, I, I think there is going to be a little bit of problems there. But like you said, Gasol doesn't play starter minutes, so it's going to be AD. And Joel Embiid has feasted on AD in the past. We've seen it. And then... Uh, they're not even going to try to put Montrez Harrell on there. That that would be a terrible idea for the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, huh? That would be brutal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it would be AD primarily, like you said. But Joel has feasted on AD before. But granted, AD was a little bit thinner back then. But I think Joel against AD, Joel's going to have fun with that matchup. Marcus Gasol's still going to give him problems in the low post. But I think Joel's game has evolved in. Doc Rivers has given him a little bit more freedom, so I think it won't be as bad as it used to be. But I still think Gasol, when it gets near the basket, Gasol's going to win that matchup. Yeah, it, it, it's right now we're we're you know it's in Bede's world, and we're just walking through it. And mm-hmm. un, but until Embiid gets over that that hump with with Gasol, because Gasol has owned him, especially when Embiid mm-hmm. tries to to go uh, post up. We'll see. It'll it'll be interesting. Like Jason said, Gasol's not going to get many minutes, but Embiid's playing at such an MVP level right now. I, I'd be surprised if he he tossed up a dud. Let's move to the forwards now, and we'll go to uh, it's really no comparison. But let's just go overall forwards. Um, do you think that LA has a better forward tandem? I mean, and if so, how much of an advantage do they have? <laughs> um. Yeah, they have better forwards. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even know why I asked that question. Uh, it's pretty close. Um, you know, we got two guys, top five, top six in the league versus uh, Danny Green, Mr. Playoff Brick, and uh, Tobias Harris, who four months ago was the most hated sixer on the team. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe Al Horford. Um, it was Al Horford, yeah, but it, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't as far apart as you would think. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, Danny Green, he's – gonna do what he's gonna do uh i don't think at this point in his career he's gonna stop lebron but i don't think he's gonna be you know primarily guarding lebron i think that's gonna be ben Simmons. Mm, yeah uh, ad i mean you know and again i don't know how they stop ad in this game quite frankly and that's usually like the kind of um insight i have in these games when i preview them on the lake show life podcast um it's always like you have two, you know, it's a dual-headed monster, and it's like you could st- you can usually stop one of them. Not every team, you know, very few teams can stop both of them. Um, obviously, Embiid is no slouch near the rim, but the way that AD, you know, can stretch the floor and whatnot, he's he's shooting more threes and shooting them at a decent rate. Um, I just I think Anthony Davis is gonna have a huge game, and if Tobias Harris plays defense on him, I, I just I worry for the Sixers, quite frankly. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Well, I'll say this. I wouldn't be surprised to start the game that Tobias is guarding Gasol. He did that during the playoffs when uh, Embiid was guarding Siakam. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case here. Uh, I think AD and Joel are going to be guarding each other for the majority of the game. Um, 
And I will say this, Joel Embiid's feet have gotten a lot quicker on the perimeter this past year. He's not dropping coverage anymore in the pick and rolls. He's keeping up with his defender on the perimeter. So I would not be surprised if you see Joel guarding AD out at the three-point line and being efficient there. So I think the Sixers are probably one of the few teams in the league that can guard both LeBron and AD at a respectable level. The question yeah. is for me that I want to see is can Joel stay out of, Joel and Ben stay out of foul trouble in this game? Because if they can, it'll be interesting. Well, that, that'll be hard to do because LeBron, he gets so many calls. Um, mm-hmm. Side note, what what is up with LeBron? I know he's an all-time great, but he cries more than than any infant, you know, who, who's just desperate for a bottle. I He cries after every play is that something that lakers fans are oblivious about or they just don't care i'm curious curious jason um i mean if any laker fan is oblivious like pretending that it's not happening they're lying to themselves (laughs) Uh, it's one of those things it's like you hate it when it's the other team and it's the other guy but when it's your guy it's it's okay I'm sure I'm sure fans, Lakers fans and other fans of the, uh, who don't watch the Sixers or aren't Sixers fans feel the same way about Embiid. But but I digress. So I, I feel like I think Harris is a better defender than, than people give him credit for. Not to say mm-hmm. that he'll be able to. Especially this year. Yeah, especially this year. Not to say that he'll be able to neutralize AD because I don't think anybody can except maybe Embiid. Because in the past, I remember watching them head to head. They only played twice a year when he was with the Pelicans. Embiid owned AD. Now, mm-hmm. come Wednesday night, we'll see. But Green will probably be matched up on KCP. But mm-hmm. in terms of, of LeBron, LeBron's just going to – he's going to get his, obviously. I I, I feel a triple-double coming on for LeBron. And AD, uh, I think whether you put Embiid or Harris on him, I think I think it'll be tougher for him than for whoever's guarding LeBron. Yeah. Um, I will say about Tobias, um, obviously he's second on the team in points per game, so it, it sounds – kind of dumb to say this but outside of Embiid I think he's going to be the one guy who really has a big game you know if the six if things go the Sixers way um because you know as we mentioned you know AD is going to be locked up with Embiid uh LeBron you know he's a good defender when he tries but he doesn't try this early in the regular season um so I'm guessing LeBron's going to be guarding Tobias unless you know they do like a Gasol on Embiid AD on Tobias I just Tobias is the one guy. I think there's like a little bit of a matchup, you know, mismatch mm-hmm. there or in your guys' favor defensively. That being said, the Lakers are a really good defensive team, but um, they haven't really had to play a stretch forward like Tobias, especially with how well he's shooting the, you know, the three ball this year. So um, well, speaking, I, speaking of three ball. So we're going to go to the guards. Now we have someone on the Sixers who is a completely terrible three point shooter, refuses to shoot shots. And I think, you know, who we're talking about, and then, the hottest shooter in the league right now, leading the league in three-point percentage. So we have our guard tandem of Ben Simmons and Steph Curry, or damn, Steph, Seth Curry. And then, <laughs> obviously, we have uh, Schroeder, who I'm a bit – I was a big fan of Schroeder, even when he was in Atlanta. You guys have Schroeder and KCP. What, what's your thoughts on that matchup with the guards? So, I mean, obviously, uh, advantage Sixers. Uh, ben Simmons just pushes it over the edge. I will say, don't sleep on KCP. I don't know if you guys have been keeping track of KCP. He's been red hot. He's been just as hot as Seth Curry. Uh, KCP's shooting 55.6% from beyond the arc. Seth Curry's 56. Uh, Curry Mm. attempts five threes per game. KCP Mm. 4.2. So they're pretty, you know, tit for tat right there. 
Uh, KCP, 929 from the free throw line. Uh, Seth obviously has made a, missed a free throw yet this year. So those two, the way the way KCP's playing, if the if the 2021 KCP shows up, I think those two are close to a wash as you can get. Now, if last year or the year before KCP shows up, then it's obviously, you know, Seth is going to shoot all over him. Um, and then point guard matchup, I, I was really high on Schroeder going into the year, um, defending him against some Laker fans who, you know, pushed back a little bit on him. He hasn't been great, honestly. He's forces his things. efficiency down. I, I noticed that. Yeah, my problem with how they use Dennis Schroeder, and the reason I was so high on him is because I envisioned them using him in a different uh, manner. I imagine mm-hmm. him being the Rondo of this team, the guard coming off the bench that gets most of his minutes with LeBron off the floor. You know, uh, obviously they have to play together, but you know that's kind of what Rondo did last year. And LeBron's averaging the fewest minutes per game of his career, so it sounded perfect. You know, you have Schroeder and Harrell off the bench together. Um, they've been starting them, and they've been getting them 30 minutes a game. I think that's a mistake. Personally, if I was in charge of the Lakers, I just punched my mic. Sorry if you heard that. I would start Alex Caruso, and I know Alex Caruso is a meme, and other NBA fans like roll their eyes at him, but he's an elite defensive player. I would start Caruso because he's a point guard who doesn't need the ball, and then you can have LeBron be you know, the point guard pretty much. And then you have that facilitator off the bench in Schroeder. The problem they're running into is they don't really have that facilitator off the bench. Schroeder's playing really inefficient when LeBron's out there, and he's trying to force things you know, when LeBron's not out there, and it's, he's not been playing great, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, Ben Simmons by a mile. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I noticed that KCP's efficiency. I, you know, it's funny because when he came into the league, you never thought of him as a shooter. He was a slasher. He was a defender. And he's still those things. But he added a three-point shot as, uh, once he started playing for the Lakers. And I've liked him on the Lakers. I think he's a good role player. Um, I think Danny Green's going to be guarding him. And I wouldn't be, I, I think KCP probably wins that matchup. Uh, and not saying that Green's a slouch, but Dan, Danny Green, I mean, KCP is just younger, younger. He's younger. He's more athletic. He's been hotter, like you said, from the field. Seth, now the point guard matchup, this is what I'm going to be looking for. Because like we said, Ben's going to be guarding LeBron. So he's really the small forward in this matchup defensively, but offense, you know, so Seth Curry is going to be most likely guarding Dennis Schroeder. And this is the matchup I'm looking for. Cause like you said, Schroeder hasn't had a good season shooting. I think he's in the low forties and the low thirties from both the field and three point land respectively. Um, I can't, I can't remember the stats right off the top of my head. I recently did a point guard ranking where I had Schroeder Hang on, I can tell you this. And um, I think I had him as like 25. Yeah, I had him as 25th. And I think 25th uh, among starting point guards in the NBA, right below Lonzo Ball. Um, Shout out to Lonzo guy. I'm a huge Lonzo guy, so I I have no problem with that. (laughs) Well, you know, I feel bad for Lonzo. Side note, I feel bad for Lonzo because two out of the four seasons that he's played, he's had to play with other ball-dominant players. LeBron in his second season, now Eric Bledsoe in his fourth season. And when he has space and he has when he has the ball primarily in his hands, he does well. And it's just not fair to him. So, but getting back to Schroeder, <laughs> I think they should, I don't know if they should have him come off the bench, but I think they should use him as a bench player. Kind of like what Kendrick Perkins has suggested the Nets do with Kyrie Irving, where you start him, but you have him play primarily with the second unit. And I, I, I haven't seen enough Laker games to know 
whether or not that's the case, but that's how I would use Schroeder. Still use him at kind of like a sixth man, have him play with the second unit um, primarily throughout the game, just still start him because I think the idea of starting him is if you start him, then LeBron has less burden during the regular season yep. and Schroeder can run more of the offense. He can take more of the all- scoring pressure off of James during the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I will say, I looked at the lineups right now, and LeBron and Dennis Schroeder have played 348 minutes together, the second most out of any two-man combination, only behind Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. So they are not staggering their minutes like they should be. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, they, they, they definitely, if they staggered those minutes more, I think Schroeder would become more efficient, and I think he would be playing a lot better this year. If he they staggered those minutes and he was playing more of a six-man role, I would he'd probably be his top 20 starting point guard in the NBA, but he's 25th in my rankings right now. So I, I think you guys said some really great points about all the guards. Uh, and I, I'm just going to go straight to Simmons and this isn't, this isn't on the agenda. So I'm veering a little bit, but it's about Ben Simmons and the chitter chatter that I've heard from people the past couple of years about Simmons possibly coming to LA. Is, is that something on the radar or is it, is that just, you know, ghosts, haunting the Sixers about, you know, players leaving and, and Simmons being associated with Hollywood, Hollywood, Ben, West Coast, Partier, Kardashians and all that stuff. Uh, is that something that Lakers fans talk about or even think about uh, Ben Simmons becoming a Laker? Uh, I've I've never really heard any, you know, chatter about that personally. Um, but now that you've said it, it does make sense in my head because mistake me if I'm incorrect, but isn't he a clutch client? Yes. 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 That's another. That's another factor yes. involved with so him. Now you got my gears turning. <laughs> client, you know, wants to come. You know, if things don't work out in Philly, he's like, "Hey, I gotta go somewhere. Let's go to the glitz and glam." By that point, mm-hmm. LeBron's gonna be on his way out. Hey, let's bring in Ben Simmons to be the new LeBron, pretty much. Pair him with AD, and then we got our pairing afterwards. Um, I think that's a great fit, and I I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. Um, but. <laughs> Laker fans, I haven't really heard any, you know, unless like just some random guys chirping on Twitter. Uh, I haven't heard anything, you know, about Ben Simmons to the Lakers, but I love it. Let, let's round out this conversation about Wednesday night's matchup, and let's look at the benches, right? So I think both the Sixers and the Lakers have have very good benches, and for those people who aren't familiar with the Sixers in L.A., we have on our bench, our five, that usually comes off. We have uh, Shake Milton, Dwight Howard. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz, Matisse Thybul, and Tyrese Maxey. And of course, LA, you guys have Harrell, Morris, Kuzma, Matthews, and Caruso. Jason, who do you think has the better bench? The Lakers. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I, you guys have a great bench, and I think that the Sixers are one of the few teams that you know can compare to the Lakers bench. Um, I know I sound kind of snobby saying that. I hate being like Homery or anything. Um but I just I look at the Lakers bench. I mean, I don't love Kuzma. Those that listen to the Lake Show Life podcast know that I'm not a Kyle Kuzma guy. Uh, I thought he should have been traded three years ago. Maybe he shouldn't have even been drafted. <laughs> not that bad. But, um, you know, Trez, he's a liability defensively, but he, he gets buckets and, he, you know, he gets bored. So he's good. Wes Matthews is really slept on. Uh, if you compare the numbers this year to Danny Green last year on the Lakers, it's pretty much a, a wash. He's done exactly what Danny Green was doing last year. Uh, I like Markeith as well. He's just an off-ball shooter. He hasn't been great shooting the basketball, to be fair. Um, and the difference maker, and again, people think he's a meme and he thinks he's overrated because Bleacher Report and other outlets kind of overhyped him. 
is Alex Caruso. Alex mm-hmm. Caruso is fantastic. I mean, I just did an article the other day, and it was before their last game, so it might not be updated or it might be changed, but Caruso ranked first in guards in defensive box plus minus. Granted, you know, it's a flawed stat. It's advanced defensive statistics aren't always the best, um, but he is an elite, elite defensive player. And all of a sudden, he could shoot the three now. He's shooting 56.7%, better than Seth Curry. Granted, not as many shots, so he doesn't qualify. Um, Alex Crusoe's good. And you guys are going to see this in this matchup. And if I, for all the Sixers fans listening, that's the one player I want you to watch is Alex Crusoe because he does not get as much love as he deserves, even though he, it's because he got too much love out the gate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the Sixers bunch. But it's more based on potential than what's actually there because I think Kuzma's pretty much who he's going to be. I think Caruso's – this Lakers bench is a known quantity, and that's that's good. But the Sixers bench, when they're hitting on all four cylinders, Thibault's making three-pointers, Korkmaz is hot, Maxi's aggressive attacking the paint, Milton's hitting his shots, Howard's defending strong in the paint. You know, I, I like the Sixers bench slightly more. I, I know that, you know, you know what you're getting with the Lakers bench, but the Sixers bench has so much more potential, I think. And, you know, that's just partly because you have young four, three, uh, four out of five of them are, you know, within the first four years of their career, but, you know, or and under the age of 25. So there's that. But I think Shake Milton is a legit candidate for six man of the year. He just needs to get a little bit more consistent. Um, that being said, uh, I do. You you brought up Kuzma, and I'm curious. Would you have if let's say you redid the AD trade and you included Kuzma in there? Who would you take out of that trade? Well, you could swap I don't think- Kuzma in for either Alonzo or Brandon Ingram. Who would you keep? So, I've, well, the answer is Brandon Ingram. But the thing is, with that trade, is those two had to be in it. I don't think Kuzma could have replaced. I think, honestly, the question is, would you replace Kuzma with Josh Hart or vice versa? Um, Ooh. Yeah, I think Hart Yeah, Hart is a, is a good player. I like Hart. I, I like Hart, too. I wrote an article on the one-year anniversary of the AD trade talking about how if they could go back and change it, that should be the one thing they change because Josh Hart would fit this team so much better. Um, and the Kuzma fans did not like that, the Kuzma mania. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't like Kuzma. I'm sorry. And I like Josh Hart a lot. I think he gets traded. He should. He just signed an extension, and a bunch of you know the Kuzma fans are like, "See, he's staying." It's like, well, if you look at the number, it's like the perfect tradable contract next year in the off season. So don't count mm-hmm. your chickens yet. Um, yeah, you could trade him with uh, Schroeder for very. You can get uh, those two plus a pick or two could get you an All Star point guard easily. Yeah. So I guess one more thing that I'm going to ask is we're talking about past uh, Laker young Laker stars. Would you have if if you could go back? Do you think that the Lakers would have tried the combo combination of Lonzo and D'Angelo Russell? I mean, I know D'Angelo Russell obviously hurt his stock in LA with the, that video of Nick Young, but do you think that if that could have been salvageable, him and Lonzo could have made a good backcourt together? So I loved the idea on paper, and I would love to see it in practice. I mean, if Lonzo goes to the Timberwolves, I would love to see that. I think they would be great together. But the reason that trade happened, it wasn't so much like, you know, Magic had his comments where he's like, we needed a leader, you know, and he, he didn't say D'Angelo Russell wasn't a leader, but he pretty much said it without saying it. Um, mm-hmm. I That's the main reason they did that trade was because they traded Mozgov with D'Angelo Russell for Brooke Lopez, who was an expiring deal. 
that trade was 100% to open cap space for LeBron. So they would have done it 100 times out of 100, and it was the right move. Um, and they ended up getting Kuzma out of it, too, because there was the pick, the Brooklyn pick that came along mm-hmm. with it. Um, so I guess it worked out in that regard. But I would have loved to see it. But, you know, because of it was either him or Brandon Ingram. And at that point, Brandon Ingram was still so young and so unproven. I mean, he didn't break out till last year, so they weren't going to trade him. So it would have been fun to see. They would have worked well together, I think. But the trade was necessary and it led to, you know, down the line of championships. So rewind to the 2015 draft. Were you hoping the Lakers would have drafted Julio Ogilvie or D'Angelo Russell more? Uh, <laughs> what? For a lot. Oh no! You know, if like, like if you guys go back and like look up like my name, like you know quotations Jason Reed and then end quotations and then quotations Julie Okafor, I've probably written like seven articles about how the Lakers should give Julie Okafor a second chance, and that would be like Man. he could he could finally become what he could be. Um, <laughs> with the Lakers and LeBron and <laughs> I'm, I'm holding out hope. That's one player. I'm still, he's still only 25. So I'm holding out hope on Julie Okafor. Uh, okay. So here, here's my thing. I really thought the Lakers were going to take Okafor. It just seemed like they were, Oh, they are going to go for a dominant big man. That's so Lakers thing. They take, and then we get D'Angelo Russell. And then you guys took Russell and I was so mad because I knew that we were going to take Okafor because there was no way we were going to take Porzingis. And there was no other player in that draft that was that like really wowed me or like in the top three conversation besides Okafor and Porzingis. Yeah. So I was just like, (laughs) I was so mad. I was the smartest back then. So to be fair, Um, but I am still holding out hope on him. (laughs) I'm holding it. He's going to be good one day. So, Jason, um, where, where can people follow you on Twitter? Can you give us that real quick? Uh, so, if you want Lakers coverage uh, at the Lake Show Life, excuse me, I keep punching my mic cord. Uh, if you want to follow my personal, I got Lakers tweets, I got Chargers tweets, I got Dodger tweets, uh, I just got funny tweets. Uh, it's at Eat Your Reedies. It's a play on Eat Your Weedies, but you know, my last name is Reed. So, R E E D I E S. And um, I do something on our podcast called Staggering Statistics, and I wanted to leave with that because we were talking about KCP earlier. Um, here's a staggering statistic for you guys. If KCP plays out the rest of his contract for the Lakers and averages as many games per season as he's been averaging, he will finish uh, 17th all-time in games played with the Lakers, ahead of names like Lamar Odom, Shaquille O'Neal, Luke Walton, Rick Fox, Norm Nixon, uh, Robert Ory, George Mikan, Pau Gasol. Um, so KCP is just going to quietly be wow. like a Laker of all time, <laughs> or top <laughs> uh, tenured Laker of all time. That's definitely interesting. <laughs> That is mind blowing. <laughs> so that's my staggering statistics to leave you guys with. <laughs> thanks, yeah. buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah. Of course, Very much appreciate it, bud. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. It was fun. I, I be